Please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, uh, let me uh, welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for uh, our study of God's Word, also for our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends that are joining us in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study. As we start this new series, Can't Lose, here's the basic theme to the series, if we reconcile with people that are different than us, and if we are unified with them, we can't lose. If we reconcile with others, even if they're different from us, and we're unified with them, together we can't lose. Now last week, uh, last Sunday, I was not here. Uh, Pastor Lisa did an awesome job preaching last week, her great things about it. And uh, Kimberly and I were at Lambeau Field, uh, the home of the Green Bay Packers. You know, we're diehard Packers fans. Now the reason we're able to do that uh, last uh, fall and this fall is because of Pastor Randy. Pastor Randy and his wife Cheryl, their son, uh, Grant, is uh, one of the coaches for the Green Bay Packers. And so Pastor Randy has been able to get me tickets the last two years which is why Pastor Randy is my favorite pastor on staff. And if when you see the 2017 budget come out, if 90% of it is devoted to senior adult ministry, you will understand that's just the way it is. Okay, Tamiko Sham, you get me Green Bay tickets, you have a shot at more in your budget as well. Just want you to know. So anyway, we're there. We're getting killed by the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, oh, heart-breaking game. Uh, five turnovers. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was really something. But I, in a beautiful heart that I have, reached out in graciousness and love uh, to a Dallas fan that was seated on the same row as Kimberly and me. Uh, here he is, Melvin Alexander. Here's, here's Melvin and I. And his, uh, let's see his Dallas star right there. And here we are bonding. Uh, this was actually taken before the game. I would not have done it with him after the game uh, or would have been beaten to death by the fans that were around us. But anyway, after that a beautiful moment of reconciliation between a Dallas fan and a, and a Packers fan, I come home. I walk into my office and some Dallas fans from our church have desecrated my office in this way. I, I don't know who did it, but the fingerprints will come back from the crime lab soon, and we will, we will find this out, and there will be retaliation. But uh, we're going to look over the next five weeks at five areas where we need reconciliation, where we're different and we need to be um, uh, recon- reconciled in that way. And we're starting with the hardest one. So just know, take a deep breath. We, you know, today's the hardest one. It's going to be much easier after this one as we talk about the, the differences uh, between us. But this is the hardest one we're starting off, which is racial reconciliation. God's grace for every race. Paul writes, God's grace has been revealed, and it has made salvation possible for the whole human race. God's grace for the human race and for every race within the human race. Second uh, Chronicles 19 verse 7 is our theme verse for the morning. The Lord our God does not tolerate, okay? Yeah, that's, a, that's a powerful phrase, isn't it? Uh, does not tolerate. Maybe you want to underline that uh, there in your study outline. Does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. Now, we understand what the taking of bribes is. We understand what perverted justice is. But what about partiality? It's an old English word for racism or prejudice. That's what partiality is. And you'll see there in your study outline or up here on our board here, you'll see a continuum of attitudes towards race. 
and, and ask, I'm going to ask myself the question uh, when we look at this continuum. What, where am I? What hash mark am I on? Am I on the 10-yard line, the 50-yard line? Am I across the goal line? What hash mark am I on? And I'm going to invite you uh, to answer the same question. What hash mark are you on on this continuum of attitudes towards race? Uh, the first, I guess I, we call it the one-yard line, is racist. Uh, this is somebody is who hates and bullies and discriminates. Uh, probably 10 or 20 yards down the field is the bigot. Uh, believes stereotypes and belittles. A uh, few, a couple more 20 yards further down the field is the avoider. Uh, those are people that are uncomfortable around other races. Now, let me tell you an advantage you have because you have chosen to be a part of Purpose Church. You have a tremendous advantage in overcoming being an avoider. You say, why is that? Because we are in the top 14% of diverse churches in America on our way to the top 4%. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, only 14% of churches in America have the majority race is under 80%. Only 14%. And we've been that way for years. But 4% of churches in America have no majority race. That is, there is no majority. And our children's ministry is already there. Our children's ministry has no majority race. There's nothing over 50% in our children's ministry. And the children's ministry of today is the overall church of tomorrow. Would you agree with me on that? And so you have chosen to come to a church where, you, where, where we rub shoulders together, we worship together, we study God's Word together. I mean, our campus is like a little taste of heaven, a picture of heaven every Sunday when you come here. Uh, this month, we will have worship services uh, on our campus uh, in obviously English, Spanish, Arabic, and Karen, the language of Myanmar, or Bernese. Four different languages uh, will be worshipped, God will be worshipped in on our campus. And by the way, I just have to say a side note um, with, uh, with the baptism uh, that took place uh, with Wadi's baptism, and what a great guy he is. My goodness, just a phenomenal person. And Ashraf, uh, the pastor who baptized him, I mean, the Arabic fellowship at our church is just, it's just incredible what God is doing there. And it's just a wonderful thing, and, and, to, and to hear God's, uh, God's Word studied in Arabic, and to hear him worshiped in Arabic. And I've told you before about Pastor Ashraf, how he was pastor of a church of 200, two to 300 people in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. That is a mega church, I guarantee you, in the United Arab Emirates. Let's let our Arabic fellowship know that we love them, and we support them, and we, are, we, we love them so very much. Every Sunday, every Sunday, our International Fellowship in the A building up on the north end of campus has around 20 nations, around 20 different nations uh, represented. So you have chosen to be part of a church where, where you are not an avoider, where you rub shoulders regularly with people of different ethnic and racial backgrounds. Um, insensitive uh, to what hurts others. That's a little further down the field, away from more of the negative ones, but now in the neutral things. Apathetic. Uh, you just don't care. Now we get to the red zone. You know, that's the final 20 yards before a touchdown. What we call the red zone, which is sensitive, where you're kind and inclusive. But we only score if we get into the end zone. We only get a touchdown if we get into the end zone. And that is being a full-on reconciler, an active bridge builder. And so we've got to move all the way down the field 
to a touchdown. It's not that much progress to say, yeah, I'm no longer a racist, I'm a bigot, and so things are cool. No, 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 that we, we really only score if we go all the way down. What Christ intends for us as a follower of Christ is to be an active bridge builder, to be a, a reconciler. Now, I turned 60 last month. Um, and uh, uh, had some time for reflection, you know, thinking, thinking back on that. And, you know, you do. You look over your life, and I confess, I don't have that many regrets as far as things I did I wish I hadn't done. Really very few regrets. But I tell you what I do have regrets in. Missed opportunities. Oh, my goodness. Do I, do I have regrets in that area of, of missed, oppor, missed opportunity? Can you agree with me on that? You probably have some of those in your life. Let me tell you one of them in this area of racial re- reconciliation. Uh, when I was in high school, how many, how many of you have ever seen the movie Remember the Titans? Anybody see Remember the Titans? That is absolutely the situation in my high school. 1971, uh, growing up in Virginia, that was, that, that was based on a true story. T.C. Williams, I ran track against T.C. Williams when I would go to the state meet. One of the powerhouses was T.C. Williams. They were from Alexandria, Virginia. I was down in Prince George, Virginia. But, but that was our era of desegregation of the schools in Virginia. It happened right during that time. And so remember the Titans is identical to my high school experience. And the schools had been recently integrated, desegregated. And, um, and, and my high school, boy, we'd had a, a murder, a racial killing in the Petersburg High School right next to us. My school, the police had closed down one day because of racial tension. They, they, they closed it down. I remember sitting in the parking lot and praying over my school and police coming over and asking me to leave. They said, what are you doing, you know? And, uh, and I, I was just praying, but they wanted everybody off the premises. And, um, and I was known as a Jesus freak in high school. I want you to know, I, it was very well known that I was a follower of Christ. I was like full-on part of the Jesus movement, really a Jesus freak in high school. And, 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 and one of my closest friends, was a good friend, was a guy named Gary Reese. He was a sprinter on the track team. I was a distance runner. And we would talk about race matters in our school for a long time. I remember we roomed together on one trip, and we talked until after midnight talking uh, about uh, the racial situation. And I have to admit, I look back on those conversations, and I fell into the insensitive realm. I was insensitive to what had hurt my friend Gary. But then our senior year, the two of us were run against each other for student body president. It was just him against me for student body president. We go in to make our speeches in the gymnasium, and everybody black was sitting on one side of the gymnasium and everybody white on the other side. And we look at each other and go, oh my goodness, this is not good. Now let me tell you what I wish now I had gone back and done. Oh, it was a missed opportunity. I should have stood up and said, you guys all know I'm a follower of Jesus. And what we're seeing here today would break his heart. And so I want you to know, I'm stepping down from this race, throwing my support behind my friend Gary, and uh, I think he'll make a great student body president. But I didn't do that. I needed a resume builder to get into Wheaton College. And so, you know, I, I, that's all I was thinking about. And it was a missed opportunity to be a reconciler, to be a, a Jesus follower, to be an active bridge builder. I, I regret those missed opportunities. Now, I'll tell you, one thing I do appreciate is opportunities I've either taken or opportunities that my wife dragged me into. 
Okay. I've had many of those. You know, you guys know our story with adoption and foster care. And, and I remember people would stare at us in the restaurants because we had two girls that were born to us, Abby and Leah. They were obviously white like us. And they were four and five. We adopted older boys, which was unusual, that were seven and eight from an orphanage in Cali, Colombia. Okay. So people would look at us in the restaurant. They'd see two younger white girls, two older Hispanic boys. And so they'd think, oh, her first husband must have been Hispanic. And, and then the white guy came along. Okay, so this, this makes sense. We, we can figure that out. Okay, Hispanic first husband, white guy comes along. These are the two daughters. But then we adopted after that two Hispanic children. They stare at us in the restaurant and say, what's up with this? Two Hispanic, then two white, then two Hispanic again. And they're looking at me and they know I had no part in that. Okay. And, uh, and they'd come up to us in the restaurant and say, what's going on here? And, uh, and, we'd, and then we'd explain our situation. Oh, okay. Now we get. But I'm so grateful for opportunities. I regret opportunities missed, glad for opportunities seized, and even glad for opportunities that my wife, Kimberly, boy, what a difference she's made in my life. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been a crazy ride. And, uh, and, and God is up in heaven saying, how much more clearly could I have warned you, Glenn? Because her maiden name was Hazard. <laughs> And, and, and God's up in heaven going, what do I have to do? Write it in the sky? You know, you get that. But I'm so thankful for that. Well, good morning. Well, we heard from Pastor Glenn earlier that God is calling us to be reconcilers. And he's calling us to move away from racial prejudice. And so this morning, I want to quickly go over four key uh, things that God hates about racial prejudice. The first thing is, he, uh, it questions God's creation. Racial prejudice questions God's creation. It's important for us to understand that race matters to God. He is the one who invented race. He's the one that made you beautiful people out there. Yes? (laughs) And he made me bald and handsome and tanned. And I know some of you are envious out there, but that's okay. Um, I can give you some secrets afterwards. Uh, Now, really, God loves variety. He loves diversity. Uh, He loves different races. And it was his idea to create you and me the way that we are. And when we say race is not important, we are saying that God, what God created is not important. And folks, that's arrogant. That's wrong. We can't go before God and say, God, what you created is not uh, the best. And God, remember, in in the very beginning, God created and he said it was good. This is good to see all of us from our various uh, racial backgrounds. When we have racial prejudice in our hearts, we're basically telling God that the diversity that he made is wrong and that we want people to look and act and behave just like us. And folks, that is not right. That is uh, denying the wonderful creator that we have. Acts chapter 17 verse 26 says, From one man, uh, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. How much clearer does God have to be that we are all part of uh, a descendant of one man? How much clearer does God have to be that he set in place the times and the places where we would be born? It means that God chose 
for me to be born as a sixth child to my parents on the island of Trinidad in 1961. Now, you guys know my age now. If I ever wanted to, I could not change my race. I could not change the time or the place where I was born. I could not change my parents, although sometimes I've thought about it. I could not change my background, and I could not change my culture. Uh, It means if God wanted me to be somebody uh, else, he would have made me that somebody else. That's who God made me. He made me me, and he made you you. If he wanted me to be born in 1995, he would have set that time and a place for me to be born in that year. And that tells a lot about how God views me and how he views you. Because God, in his special, infinite wisdom, decided to make you and me just the way we are racially. Now, being born the way we are doesn't say anything about our character. But it says that we are part of the human race. And that should unite us together. And that that common ancestry is what God is calling us to rally around. So racial prejudice questions God's creation, and it directly questions God's character. And the Bible is very strong about it. It says God hates it. The second reason why God hates racial prejudice is that prejudice is a sign of ignorance. It basically means we don't know what we're talking about when we speak or act Uh, with hate towards others. It means we don't understand God's plan or his purpose or his people. In in contrast, uh, uh, I'm sorry, when we don't know something about a group, we tend to be down on it. The more ignorant we are, the more prejudicial we become. In contrast, the wiser we become in life, the more unprejudiced we will be. In John chapter 2, verse 11, it says very clearly, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. In other words, if we're going about life and we hate someone just because they are different than us, then we are in the dark. We are blind. We're lost. Jesus, who is the light of the world, does not desire for you and me to walk in that darkness, to walk in that ignorance. Instead, he calls us to live wisely, to walk wisely. And so in James chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The wisdom from above is pure first of all, but it's also peaceful, gentle, and friendly. It is full of compassion and produces a harvest of good deeds. It is free from prejudice and hypocrisy. Folks, those, are, those words that you see there, peaceful, gentle, friendly, those are all relational words. God is calling us to be wise in the way that we relate with one another. And so racial prejudice is not something that he wants us to get involved with. He wants us to act peaceful with one another, to reach out to one another in friendship, to reach out to one another with gentleness and kindness and graciousness. He's calling us to be friendly to one another, to the stranger that you meet in the marketplace. You know, the best ministry that we all can have is a ministry of smiles. You go into the grocery store and you see somebody unfamiliar with you. Hey, the best thing, a big smile. People, that is, that is so welcoming to me when I see that smile from people that are different than me. Because I know for some reason uh, they, they've already given me a sense of acceptance. Compassion, serving others without worrying about who they are. You know, yesterday we had a homeless ministry, and we don't ask whether the people are millionaires or not. We just welcome everybody. Folks, that's what God is calling us to, to reach out with compassion, not worrying about uh, who these people are. And then, of course, uh, free of hypocrisy, uh, free of prejudice. God is calling us to move in that direction. 
Wisdom is demonstrated through the good relationships that we have with one another and in treating each other with gentleness and respect. And so God wants us to to not be ignorant or racially prejudiced, but he's calling us to be wise. Now, the third reason God hates racial prejudice is racial prejudice disobeys the great commandment. And in the the, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the Bible tells us uh, Jesus summarized the laws and the prophets into these two uh, sentences. uh, Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Luke 10... He went about sharing the story of the Good Samaritan because somebody asked the question, who is my neighbor? And he shares the story of this man who was beaten brutally and then a number of people walked by. But then this Good Samaritan walked by. The Samaritan were from the hated group of that day, uh, hated by the Jews. And this Good Samaritan walked by, saw this man injured, wrapped him up in his arms, cared for him took him to an inn and uh, told the innkeeper that when I come back, I'll just take care of whatever charges you, uh, you spend on taking care of this man. And, and Jesus asked the, 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 the religious leaders around him, so who was the neighbor? And of course, it's the Samaritan, the guy who was part of the minority, the guy who was the most hated in that community. God, Jesus used him as the example of what we should be acting and behaving like in terms of loving our neighbors. And folks, we have plenty of opportunity, especially in Southern California, to love our neighbors. People I know are coming from all around the world right here in our community. And sometimes it's tough. But guess what? Jesus says, do the right thing. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you will find that you put in behind you that Third thing that God hates, uh, putting aside his great commandment of loving him and loving others. And finally, I just want to uh, uh, wrap up with this. God hates racial prejudice because racial prejudice is a serious sin. James chapter 2 verse 9 says, If you treat people according to their outward appearance, you are guilty of sin, and God's law condemns you as a lawbreaker. Folks, that's a strong sentence. And I, 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 I myself know that I can't live up to that because I too have formed bad impressions of people. And I, too, am guilty of this. You know, it's, uh, statistics show that people form impressions of people within the first 30 seconds uh, that when they meet them. And that means that when you and I meet a stranger, we've already decided how we're going to react to that person. And when we, we form those impressions, guess what? Sometimes we keep those impressions the rest of our life. And that's not a good thing because guess what? Based on a 30-second encounter... You have decided to describe the the, the reality of a person's life. And we can't do that. So uh, racial prejudice is a serious sin because we're judging people just simply on their outward appearance. And if we treat people based on that, the Bible says that that's not a good thing. Now, some of you know that I grew up in Trinidad, in the Caribbean. And because I look a certain way, I will tell you that I've been called Hispanic. I've been called... um, Muslim, I've been called Hindu, I've been called from, uh, someone from Fiji, and of course someone from India, and uh, uh, you know, I've been called a black pastor at Purpose Church, um, you know, I've, been, uh, I've been asked if I have, I, I lived in Boston because of my accent. Folks, uh, people, people, people mix up who I am, and just for the record, I'm a Trinidadian, and I'm of Indian heritage. And I've lived in America for a long time, so actually what I am is very confused. And so, <laughs> and so it was for that reason, during 9-11, 
that I had to be, uh, kept, keep a low profile. I had to be careful because I knew that there were people that were going to take those 30 seconds and make a quick opinion of me and could do some damage to me. Well, God is calling us to repent of this sin. Hebrews uh, 12.1 says very quickly, all of us have this large crowd of witnesses, so then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly, and let us run with determination the race that lies before us. Let us put aside that sin of racial prejudice and move on in God's way. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Shaw. Um, so racism is a very complex issue. It's rooted in the history of our country. It permeates our culture and the systems of our society. A single sermon cannot solve this problem, but it can start us thinking. Um, and the first step in changing culture is changing the people that make up that culture, and that's ourselves. So how do we root out racism from our lives? Is we need to become reconcilers. We have to move the ball downfield. So if you're on your own, one yard line and you have 99 yards to go, what do you do? You have to move the ball downfield. Um, as Pastor Glenn showed us at the beginning of the message, that's the only way we'll win. And the only way we'll win is to, to become reconcilers. And you know what? It does sound impossible for a racist to become a reconciler. And actually it would be impossible except for the transformation power of Jesus Christ. And we have seen that. Maybe you have an experience where God has radically transformed transformed your life or someone in your family. Um, we've see, we saw the Apostle Paul who went from being someone who was killing Christians to being the writer of the majority of the New Testament and a radical missionary for Jesus. Um, the man who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, his name is John Newton, he went from being a vile slave trader during the transatlantic slave trade to becoming a Christian, a pastor, and then writing probably what could be the, considered the greatest hymn of all time. So we know it's possible. So the first step towards the end zone is to have clear eyes. We have to see people as God does. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Unfortunately, we naturally do look at the outward appearance. You know, books are judged by their covers. Homes are judged by their curb appeal. We judge people by how they look, how they talk, how they dress, even their accents. You know, when I was growing up, I, I felt this. I felt judged, prejudged um, by how I looked. People labeling me as different. I grew up in a really small town in Northern California. It was a very agricultural community, predominantly white community. And I was a minority in that community. My father was Japanese American. He grew up in Hawaii. Um, my mom is Jewish. And so I was different than um, pretty much everybody, at least at the school that I attended, um, every year, I remember looking at my class photo, and I was the only, or most of the time, the only non-white face in my class photo. I had classmates make fun of my squinty eyes and, and ask me if, where I was from as if I wasn't born in the United States or wh what I was, kind of like, what type of Asian are you? Um, so I really felt like I, I understood what it was like to be a minority and be, be prejudged. Um, and I really have always considered myself to be 
very culturally sensitive. Um, but then as I got older, I started to realize that there were some um, biases that I grew up with that I hadn't really realized um, until I became an adult. For example, my dad grew up um, in a culture where he, there were many other Asians in Hawaii, but he was kind of raised that when you're Japanese, you're the best Asian, right? You look down on all the other Asians. And my mom, her family, my mom's family is Jewish, and my grandparents and my great-grandparents immigrated here after World War II, and they experienced a lot of prejudice as Jews in Los Angeles when they immigrated here, and they had built up resentment towards Germans because of what they had experienced going through the war in Europe. I remember my great-grandma checking labels. She'd pull something off the grocery store shelf, check the label, make sure it wasn't made in Germany before she bought it. Now, this didn't, I don't think this translated into who I am today, but it definitely is somewhat of an influence on me. I had to make a decision not to allow these biases to become part of who I was. But then I got married, and I married someone who's Hispanic. And and I've, and I, again, think I'm very culturally sensitive. I grew up in California. A lot of Latinos in California. Um, but I remember uh, my husband's family is from Ecuador. And so right after we got married, we, we went down to Ecuador with my father-in-law to visit his family. And my father-in-law had brought lots of gifts for his family. And so I remember he's opening up the suitcase and taking everything out. And he brought them packages of corn tortillas. And they were so excited. I remember thinking, well, that is so strange. Why would he bring tortillas to Ecuador? Don't they, don't they eat those here? And then I was, realized my insensitivity. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed because I realized I assumed, because they're Hispanic, because they're Latino, that they eat tortillas in Ecuador, which they don't, by the way. So they were very excited to receive them as a gift from, from Southern California. Um, but all that to say, we have to choose to not allow these biases to affect us. Um, John seven twenty four says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. We must ask God to help us see people the way he sees them, to celebrate their differences, see that who they are, celebrate the different cultural heritage that they have, but see them beyond that. Second, we have to listen to everyone with respect. If you're going to be a reconciler, you have to learn to listen to everyone and regardless of their views with respect. Prejudice is really a failure to listen. The word prejudice comes from the word to prejudge, to know someone prior to listening to them or getting to know them. In James, um, the first chapter we read that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't say that we we should never be angry. We should be angry at certain things like injustice, particularly racial injustice. But there's a difference between godly anger and anger because you've been hurt and then now you want to retaliate. We must be slow to speak because anger blocks our listening. When you're angry, have you ever been in an argument with someone? It's like you can't hear what they're saying because you're so angry. Right now, I'm doing all the talking, so I'm not really learning anything, right? Because I'm talking so much. So we have to be slow to speak. As reconcilers, we can diffuse anger. We can de-escalate violence by listening to someone's hurt. We must listen to their hurt, though, not their words. When we're angry and we're hurt, sometimes we say things we regret, right? 
But we must ignore people's words and just listen to their hurt. And also use the phrase, tell me more. This phrase will make you a peacemaker. It demonstrates care. It demonstrates interest. And it allows you to absorb somebody else's pain, just like Jesus absorbed our pain. Uh, Second, we have to have full hearts. We have to love everybody the way Jesus does. There's nobody that I'm allowed not to love. We don't have to always agree with them, but we must love them. John 15, 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know that, you notice there's no parentheses in that sentence. It doesn't say to love each other, but you don't have to love the people that are of another race than you. It doesn't give the parentheses that we don't have to love people that have the different political view than us or people that have hurt us. We have to love everyone the way Jesus loved us. So how does he love us? Unconditionally, freely, completely, continually. So how must we love other people? Unconditionally, freely, completely, and continually. So here are some practical ways we can love each other and become reconcilers. This first one is my favorite. Try a different ethnic cuisine. It's amazing how much food and culture are so connected. Second, read a devotional book written by someone from another race. Our ethnicity really informs how we read the Bible, and we can learn so much by reading the words of somebody of a different race than us and understanding how they interpret Scripture. Diversify the voices you read on social media. Commit to reading a blog or a resource on the topic of reconciliation each month and try to apply one of the principles to your life. Take turns in your life group or your your class, Sunday school class, sharing about your cultural heritage. Share, start a prayer group and invite people of various ethnicities to join. Or you can visit our own international fellowship here on campus. Pray or listen to prayers and worship songs in another language. Our world is full of hatred and violence and prejudice. Society is not going to be transformed by changing laws or by government. But God's game plan is to, to bring people together is the church. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, there, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity is so important to us. Our ethnicity, our gender, our occupations, all these things that make up our identity, those are important. But when we become followers of Jesus, we join the family of God. Our primary identity changes. So my primary identity is that I am on God's team. And the only way God's team is going to win if we become reconciled with one another. What an amazing witness to the world will that be when God's church is reconciled. We must have clear eyes, full hearts. And if we do that, we can't lose. If you would like prayer, our prayer room is open. It's um, to here to the left of me and through that doorway and that um, right over here. But will you stand as we close in prayer today? Let's pray. Lord, give us the strength to strive for oneness, not sameness. Allow us to see that the mystery of the gospel involves you uniting all people together in Christ so we would recognize all groups and cultures as important and valuable. Open our eyes and hearts to the hurts and concerns of people of all races. Compel us to develop genuine friendships with people from other ethnic groups so we can reflect your love. In Jesus' name, amen.